The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, as if 2020 can't get any more off the charts, really. Nature serving up another reason to stay indoors uh, with the arrival of the so-called Asian murder hornet. It's an invasive species in the U.S. and Canada. Now, its real name is the Asian giant hornet, and it's the biggest, meanest hornet in the world. And yeah, it's big and it's mean and it's got its name because it can slaughter entire colonies of honeybees in minutes. They've also been linked to a few dozen deaths each year around the world. So, so far, they've been spotted in B.C., and there are fears they will move across the country. Dr. Gard Otis is an adjunct professor at the School of Environmental Sciences at the University of Guelph. Dr. Otis joins us now. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hi, Jillian. Good to be here. Uh, Nice to talk with you. So um, I'm going to, is it okay if I call it the murder hornet or should I call it the giant hornet? I really don't like that term. I don't even know where that came from. I only heard about it the very first time this last weekend in one of the news articles. I don't know who cooked it up. But let's call it a giant Asian hornet. How's that? Okay. The Asian giant hornet. Okay, now, tell us uh, about it. Okay, tell us about it. I mean, how big it is compared to what we're normally used to seeing, and, and, and why has it got this reputation of being such a, you know, bad hornet? Uh, it is, well, there's two species, actually, and, and the news isn't reporting it right now, but they actually detected both species in British Columbia last year, Oof. unless one of them was misidentified. One of them, um, the one that's getting the most press, lives in a slightly colder climate, and the other one that was found in Vancouver proper um, lives in a more subtropical climate all the way to Singapore and Asia, hmm. from Vietnam to Singapore. So um, together, they're like, uh, <laughs> they have a climatic envelope that would cover a good part of, of the United States, really. Okay. So um, I got off topic there. So um, <laughs> they're very large. Uh, queens, and well, they're about five centimeters long with a stinger that's about three quarters of a centimeter long. And um, to put that into perspective, probably the largest wasp that people would be familiar with and in Alberta would be about half that size in length and wow. much less in, in uh, volume. They're big. And, and, a, and really interesting face, like the coloring of them is, is quite dramatic. Their head is massive, uh, like it's unlike any other wasp I've ever seen. And uh, I had an opportunity to work with the more subtropical one in, in Vietnam in 2013 um, through a National Geographic grant. And they literally, when they, when they got to a beehive they wanted to attack, they would recruit their sisters to the beehive. So you'd get like five, six, seven, eight wasps all at one beehive. And you could hear them chewing the wood away at the entrance to try to get in. That's how powerful the, the mandibles are in the wow. head. It's amazing. Wow. Wow. And so, I mean, yeah. And one of the big concerns is that they can just decimate a honeybee colony like that. Um, I mean, why do they, first off, why do they target honeybees? Well, that's a very good question. Um, they are like all other social wasps in temperate regions like we have in Canada um, in that the colonies don't survive the winter. Honeybees live on honey and they eat honey and they stay warm during the winter and they live all year long. But these guys, uh, like bumblebees, they die off in the fall. The only thing that survives over the winter are the mated queens. And then the next spring, like around now, well, maybe not now, it's awfully cold out right now, but soon... 
they would be out on the wings, starting to forage, looking for a place in the ground, usually to nest. So they start off really small. You know, the first queen maybe raises maybe five, ten workers, and then they raise another batch of workers. Well, by the time it gets into August, there's maybe 250, 300 workers in a nest, and they have a lot of larvae they're trying to feed, so they're getting hungry. So they turn to more risky prey, risky in that they can things like social wasps and bees that literally could sting them in, in defense. Um, but the sad thing for our honeybees, they, they originated in Europe. They've never had any history of being in contact with these hornets from Asia, so they're defenseless. So the, the hornets actually, I mentioned, they recruit their sisters, and there will be a number of them at the entrance to, to a hive. And then um, when they start to attack the hive, our poor little bees come out to defend, and they just cut them in half because at that point, they're more interested in getting at the honey and the larvae and the pupae, all the baby bees inside, than they are the actual adult bees. The, the other bees in the nest are much higher value. So they'll kill all the bees, and then they literally have the best stocked refrigerator for the next virus pandemic that's going to hit. They've got <laughs> honey in there to eat, they've got larvae to eat, they've got pupae to eat, and they can haul them back to their nest and feed their own young for the next couple weeks. Wow, I've heard them being described as the pirate of the insect world. That's a pretty good term, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. I haven't heard that one, now, but that's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. Now, Dr. Otis, uh, one of the things you had mentioned is that our poor honeybees um, don't know how to handle the Asian giant hornet. And from what I've been reading, that um, other honeybees in Asia have fig figured out how to fight back. Can you tell us how they do that? Yeah, that's actually... Uh, part of what I went to Vietnam to study in 2013, um, they have some really cool behaviors so that the Asian hive bee, when it detects an intruder, and they do this with several different kinds of wasps, uh, you can see the wasp come to the entrance and you can, you can see just inside the entrance, you can see the worker bees in there kind of looking out, waiting. And if they get an opportunity, they'll rush out and they engulf the wasp in a ball of bees. In, in the case of one of these giant Asian hornets, there might be 200 bees clustered around the, the hornet. And they make such a tight ball, like they just lock onto their bodies. They make such a tight ball that you can roll this thing back and forth in your hands from one hand to the other, wow. bees with a wasp inside. And in the <laughs> meantime, they generate heat just like they would in the wintertime, the bees would to keep warm. They generate heat with their thorax muscles, their flight muscles, and they're able to heat their bodies up to a, a temperature that's about two degrees higher than the lethal temperature of the wasp. So they literally cook the wasp to death, and it's such a tight knot of bees, they actually asphyx asphyxiate the wasp. So it's a really cool behavior. What was it like the first time you, you witnessed that? Uh, pretty cool. I'd heard about it through uh, studies that some Japanese researchers had done. And the first time I saw it was, oh, probably 20 years ago in Malaysia. But, uh, yeah, it's astounding to see it. And we have, there's another hornet that's um, Asian hornet that's about two-thirds the length of these guys. And uh, it's gotten introduced into Europe accidentally. And it, it hovers at the entrance to the hive and picks off forager bees that are coming back into the hive. They're so effective at shutting down forage foragers and foraging that some of the, be the colonies can't produce enough honey to survive the winter. So they have an, wow. a different problem there. And um, we would have those, those hornets in the day and, and the apiaries where we were working in Vietnam all the time. 
And you could wander around in the apiary, and almost always you could find somewhere one of these little balls of bees hanging from the front of a hive. And then after so, they've cooked it to death, gradually the, the bees leave it, and then you just have a dead wasp on the ground. It's really cool. Dr. Otis, do we know how the giant hornet, the Asian giant hornet, ended up in, in Canada? Can you even speculate? Yeah, we can speculate. We don't know exactly, but their biology actually makes it really easy for this to happen. And both the ones in uh, Pacific Northwest, as well as the species I just mentioned that's in Europe, that's called the yellow-legged hornet, um, they have the same biology ours do. They, they overwinter as overwintered queens, single queens. And so from about, so the colony produces maybe 50 new queens at the end of the season, they mate, and then they go off to winter in the ground or in, um, in a wood pile or in some packing material. And then for the next five months, they're inactive. As long as it stays cool, they're not going to get active. So you can ship them from Asia to North America, no problem. And, and it's almost certainly that's how they got in. Nobody would have brought in one of these nests. They would have, they would have noticed them. They're, they're huge. <laughs> uh, Dr. Otis, I have uh, so many more questions for you. Do you, by chance, have a, a few minutes more time? I need to take a break and get some com commercials um, played. Sure. Can, can you hold on for a few more minutes? Awesome. All sure, right, good. Dr. Gard, Gard Otis is an adjunct professor, School of Environmental Sciences at the University of Guelph. We're talking about the Asian giant hornet, and he doesn't like uh, us calling it these murder, these murder hornets that they've been dubbed. It, it happens. And someone nicknamed them that in a, in a news article, and it's taken off. And I know a lot of you are talking about them now. But these Asian giant hornets have arrived in Canada, in the Pacific Northwest, in the Vancouver area. And so the question is, is what do we do about them? What can we do about them? We're talking about the Asian giant hornet, a big and bad hornet that has arrived in Canada. It's been spotted in uh, B.C. Uh, Dr. Gard Otis is joining us this afternoon, an adjunct professor the School of Environmental Sciences. University of Guelph has, uh, has studied uh, these hornets in the past and uh, just providing some great insight into these creatures. Dr. Otis, um, what, can, what can Alberta beekeepers what can bee bee beekeepers i guess anywhere do to protect their um their hives from the asian giant hornet if it starts to move across the country well as i mentioned where i worked in vietnam the, these hornets would regularly come to the apiaries and generally uh, people there have a small number of beehives in the backyard and so when the first wasps arrive in the morning, as long as you can keep them away from the beehives and they can't actually start to set up this recruitment process where they bring their sisters back and launch an attack, um, you can pretty well shut them down. So they would generally send um, the elderly grandmother in the house or one of the kids out with a badminton racket and whack them. So that's one way to do it. I don't think that's going to work too well in, in Alberta. Um, but th that's one way to do it. Um, I have not seen what they do in Japan, but I've, I understand that J Japanese beekeepers have been working with these introduced European bees for many, many years, about 50 years there, and they have giant hornets in Japan. So they've had to mm -hmm. design various kinds of traps and entrance protectors that seem to effectively work. I haven't seen these in place, mm -hmm. so I don't exactly, I can't exactly describe what they look like. But I understand that some of these traps put on the front of the hives, it's like a funnel. The wasps enter it, they enter a jar, and sometimes they catch as much as a liter of hornets a day. 
So that seems wow. to be pretty effective. I, our beekeepers are smart. Um, we have a great extension service across Canada and lots of exchange of information between the professionals who work for the industry. So I think we will figure things out and design traps and design hive entrance protectors and things like that. So I, I don't see them being a big issue for commercial beekeeping or hobby beekeeping, maybe in the early years when they're trying to adapt to them, but then it's just going to be part of the background landscape of keeping bees. I might add that... Uh, I don't know if you've noticed it, but the climate in Alberta, especially around Edmonton, can be a little severe in the wintertime. And um, I don't think they'll actually survive that climate. I may be wrong, okay. but I think it's just a little bit too cold for these hornets. Is there anything Lath Lathbridge, being done? Lathbridge, maybe. Yeah. But I think, okay. uh, I think probably even there they get enough cold, really cold periods that it probably wouldn't survive. Do you know what's being done in BC right now to try to stop the spread? I know I, I, I've read a couple of articles about some some folks who who managed to um, like dismantle a, a, a hive. Do we do we know what's being done? Well, there isn't. I'm going to be a little bit on the negative side with respect to that because um, I think the task is just almost an impossible task. Imagine that right now that they found. Four records, well, excluding Vancouver Island, we've got about four records from Vancouver down into um, Washington State. So we've got maybe, I don't know, a thousand square kilometers to search mm. for queens this spring and for colonies in the summer. Like, and they're out in the bush and in mountainous country. I just don't see that we're going to be able to um, effectively eliminate them. Um, okay. What we don't know is that they're actually successfully have colonized. So they, yes, they're here, but whether they'll survive this initial colonization period has yet to be seen. And we'll have probably, I would guess, by a year from now, they'll have caught enough wasps and done genetic analyses on them that we'll have some pretty good idea of how much genetic diversity they have and the chances that they actually will be able to successfully colonize. Uh, Dr. Otis, a couple of questions coming in on, on my text line. Just in uh, overall, people are wondering, just a couple of questions when it comes to wasps and to hornets in general. What is the difference between wasps and hornets? Uh, um, I'm not a good systematist, or like a class okay. taxonomist of insects. So, um, okay. But wasps is a big general term. There's, there's 100,000 kinds of wasps in the world. And within it, there's a family of vespid wasps which has the social wasps in it, most of them. And within that, there's one genus, just like we have a genus of honeybees, Apis, we have one genus of hornets that is Vespa. And all the hornets are native to Europe and, and Asia. Um, we have one introduced in Eastern North America. It's been here for 150 years. Causes no problem whatsoever for people or for bees, but it's pretty big. Um, but then there's, in uh, where I was in Vietnam, there's probably 10 or 12 species of, of Vespa just in the one region of Vietnam. So with these giant hornets, um, how dangerous are they to humans? We know that some people have died from them, so obviously very dangerous. But for most of us, most of the population, what, what would they have to worry about? Have you ever been stung by one? I was stung by one. Um, when I first was getting ready to go to Vietnam, I contacted a friend from grad school who'd studied uh, wasps in general, social wasps. And I said, John, what do I do? Like, how am I going to protect myself? And he said, well, in Japan, they wear hazmat suits. But he said, if you try to wear one of those in Vietnam, you'll cook to death. So I can't help you. 
And off I went to Vietnam, and I was literally terrified. Um, but we very quickly learned that individual hornets arriving at a beehive or arriving at a food source to feed um, are basically not interested in, in stinging or defending anything. We could actually take our hand and push them away from beehives without any risk to ourselves. Really? After we got used to them, we knew what we were doing. But on yeah. the one occasion when I did get stung, we, um, we were doing an experiment with, on the behavior of the bees in response to hornets. And we needed to, um, I mentioned I, that these wasps recruit each other. They actually have a little gland. They mark the front of the hive with a chemical that the other wasps orient back to when they're, when they're being recruited. And so we needed to get some of it. We wanted to test that chemical to see if the chemical alone would elicit a defensive response from the, from the bees. So we had wasps. I would put them in the, in the freezer in my little bar fridge in my hotel room. And then when they were chilled down, I'd bring them out, and the, the rest of the team would, would get these glands. So on one occasion, I was trying to push the system a little bit. I didn't chill them enough. I opened the jar. One of them flew out, hit me right in the chest, was trying to sting me right at the heart. It terrified me. Um, I flung it off into the room. And another one dove into my bedroom. So I went into the room to get the one in my bedroom, and the, the people outside dealt with the others. So they were fine. They got everything under control. So I've got one wasp. I can hear it humming in my bedroom. I don't know where it is. It's behind the dresser. So I think, think to myself, if I just drag my insect net through the back of the dresser, it'll come out. It'll go to the window, to the light, like most self-respecting insects would do. What I didn't realize or didn't think through was that if it wanted to go to the window, it already would have been at the window. So I dragged the net through. It came out at about a foot above the ground and came straight at my big toe, and it was the most excruciating. Uh, it was like hitting my toe with a, with a giant hammer um, that went on throbbing for the next 36 hours. It was wow. excruciating. Wow. And, it, um, and so imagine these are ground-living wasps, and yeah. so what happens is farmers are out working in their fields because farming in, in much of Asia is very small scale and, and hands-on activity. So they happen to walk through a little brushy area, step on a nest, and Oof. maybe 50 of these come out and sting them. Um, and that's, that's really bad. It's really bad. Dr. I can't Otis, imagine what uh, that would be like, but I don't think no. it'd be good. No, not at all. Dr. But individual Otis, people just... out walking around, um, they're not likely to experience, ever see them. And if they do, they're just going to go the other way, and you're going to go your way. And... But people, if they do see large wasps, large hornets, Whatever they are, they don't know what they are. They should try to get a photo or even catch one in a jar and then get it okay. to a, an agriculture person within the province to get it identified. Because I think a lot of what we learn about these hornets is going to be generated by the average person out there keeping their eyes open, taking photos, and um, sending them in and detecting them. Fascinating stuff, Dr. Otis. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for your insight on this. I've appreciated the conversation so very much. It's been good, and thanks for the time. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Dr. Gard Otis joining us this afternoon. We're talking about the Asian giant hornet. You've seen it labeled as the murder hornet in news articles over the past couple of days. Fascinating stuff.